Hi, how can I help you today? As a McDonald's employee, you say those words quite often. But how about when you need help, like consulting a doctor? Hi, how can I help you today? When you work for a McDonald's restaurant, we take care of you like family. With free virtual doctor's visits, including getting prescriptions and refills for you and everyone in your family. Apply today at careers.mcdonalds.com and find out more. The benefits described herein are only available at participating restaurants. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game... This year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv. An unmatched dual threat. Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shot Podcast. We're your hosts, Schmidt Dua and Mason Ginsberg. And this is all Pelicans all the time. I say we dig into the questions that the readers, the listeners have, because we got a lot of them. And I think we We addressed a good number of them. So uh, do you have one that really sticks out to you? Uh, If not, I can kick it off. I I think, uh, so I think we got this a couple places, but I let's, since we kind of started off pessimistic, let's continue down that path uh, and talk playoffs for next year. Um, so we've got some, we got a question around, you know, improvements, look at, look at what Phoenix is doing in the bubble. Uh, looking at the, the Blazers getting healthy, the Warriors getting healthy. You know, what, are, what are the odds of making the playoffs next year? I mean, I feel like we, we were going to the year or at least like kind of mid season thinking, okay, well, when we get healthy, when we get right, this team's got the talent to be a clear playoff team. Well, you know, nah, I, I don't know if we can say that as strongly now. What, what do you think? 
Oh, yeah. I, don't, I think playoffs are far from guaranteed, especially if they find themselves in a situation where they're like, oh, you know what? Uh, we're moving on from Drew. Yep. Yeah. Especially if that decision is made. Uh, yeah, I don't – this is far from a guaranteed playoff team. Now, am I hopeful? Yeah, I think, you know, there's enough – there should be enough talent, theoretically, to make it. I, it would depend on if these guys actually gave a shit. But I think it's an entirely possible scenario where the Pelicans end up back in the lottery for sure because you're looking at, as the person mentioned, the Suns. The Kings are going to want to get better and probably going to get better, but you, know, you probably can count them out. Minnesota, uh, the Warriors, you got all these teams. And you know, I maybe the OKC Thunder fall out, you know, because they lose some of their vets and they make some savvy draft deals. But I doubt it. You know, it's, it's going to be really, really difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, you look at the standings in the West, and I think, you know, oftentimes you, you t- we, we can look at the West and say there's going to be 10, 10 really good teams and the rest are just going to be kind of bottoming out and garbage. That's not even – I think almost every team in the West is going to be trying to be – like because that's usually the problem, right, is that you can clearly identify the top eight teams, and so the Pelicans just got to get lucky and, and get by one of those teams that we feel like are pretty much locks to make the playoffs. That's not what's going on. In I think it's – there are just so many teams that have talent, and it's – it's it's hard to to say the Pelicans are definitively one of the best eight best eight teams. I'm almost wondering if there are any teams going that are going to go the other direction just because of that. And so, like, I mean, you look at a team like Oklahoma. Wait, City. I want to chime in here. It's okay. worth it to go the other direction. Yeah, Cade Cunningham. <laughs> there we go. Cade Cunningham is just a phenomenal prospect that every team should be tanking for. I think it's worth it. I mean, obviously, the, the lotto odds are flattened and yada, yada, yada. But next year's draft class is supposed to be really good. All those players that are heading up that G League select team, you know, Jalen Green, um, Kate Cunningham's going to, to Oklahoma or is it Oklahoma State? I forget which one. Yeah. Either way, you know, it's, it's going to be a loaded draft class, so they say. I definitely think there's going to be a team that decides, you know what, let, let's, just, uh, let's just dip into this draft here. Oklahoma City, man. I, I mean, it sounds – it probably sounds crazy on the surface because they continue to look really good in the, bu- in the bubble with Chris Paul. But, man, like, they're, they're so well positioned for the future. They – if you can trade Chris Paul and not have to attach assets to him, if you find a team like Hello in New York or Charlotte uh, and say, I would take Chris Paul in a heartbeat. So still on that – I know we talked about it on the pod. Or New Orleans. Many months ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, I mean, do they just kind of rever- totally reverse course and say we've got all we've, we've got this stockpile of assets? Let's just let's see how quickly we can bounce back if if we can tank and get get a, a nice pick in this loaded class. Maybe maybe we've only got to hit the reset button for one year and then we can you know and, and then make some quick changes. Uh, so is this uh, year yeah. the Spurs finally say fuck it? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point too. So yeah, I mean that's a long-winded way of saying playoffs. <laughs> Pelicans fans do not think that this team with all the talent that they have, even if they keep true, like there's no guarantee of playoffs. This, this, as, as we always say, the West is just, there's too much talent. Yeah. No guarantees in the West. And especially if there's injury troubles for the Pelicans, because they have Unless, never well, handled that well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course 
once AD leaves the Lakers will be it'll that, that'll open up one spot, but um, <laughs> it's still not enough. Uh, there's still too many good teams. So, so a relevant question. This is from Steve Novak's burner account. So, is do you think there's any way the Pels can revert to a slower rebuild, or have the expectations already been set to high, too high? That's a so it's a very general question. So, if I mean, I I think we did. Expectations were too high. I mean expectations are whatever you as an individual put on the team, but also the, the Pelicans set themselves up like this. I mean, they, they, they positioned Drew as an MVP candidate, which I think we all know was to take pressure off of Zion. But still, I mean, you are, you're positioning yourselves as this team who's going to instantly push for the playoffs and, and, and be relevant. And so um, now that this year has happened, can the Pelicans kind of change the mentality mindset of the fan base. Not that it's super important. They're, they're focused on what's going on on the court and how they can eventually become a contender. They care a little bit less about what the fans think, but I think it's an important question, um, you know, to keep, keep fans invested. Um, I mean, Zion hopefully does that mostly by himself as long as he's on the floor, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think regardless of whether or not they, they can, I think that's just going to be the inevitability of things. I don't, I don't see, I don't see a sorry a Bradley Beal trade to to jumpstart or, or expedite this timeline or anything. I, I don't. I think w- if anything, we slow down. We don't speed up. How dare you? <laughs> sorry, don't break my heart, man. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I don't think Griff is going to look at this and be like, you know what? Let's just lean all the way into a rebuild. But I do think strategic decisions might be made with Drew. And some of the other vets where they're like, hey, we tried this whole vet thing. It didn't quite really work. Let's capitalize on the assets we can capitalize on. Uh, and then kind of find our vets elsewhere, fill, fill it around the edges. And so in that scenario, they're still very much going to try to win games. So like a trade that I threw out there, which for the record, I would not do this trade if I were me, but a trade that I threw out there. Um, was like, let's say you move Drew to Indiana for Miles Turner, um, some other salary. So I, I think I said Doug McDermott and their pick or a couple picks. Uh, let's say it's two picks. You know, that's something that would satisfy the requirement of getting an asset back, also gets a young player back, but also gets a player, you know, that young player can also play and the other guy you get back can also play. So, you know, it, it rewinds your timeline or it, I guess extends your timeline because you move Drew, but it also may be a situation where Drew's just a way better player than those guys, and you're not as good because you didn't fill in the gap. So, you know, I can see scenarios like that, and and the Pelicans are again in a position where they're young, their their goal is to compete, but if they don't make the playoffs, then no big deal. Yep. What I do think is they're in a situation where they'll never be able to outright tank. As long as Zion is healthy, they're not going to be bad enough to tank. And and that is something I'm sure of. Yeah, I think that's that, – I think that's – well, hmm. It's the same thing with AD. Like, the best you can get is maybe the sixth best pick. Like, yeah, but with, the lottery odds are flattened um, some, somewhat. And, like – yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't hmm. – yeah, I guess it depends on what we see from Zion on the defensive end. I mean, I, next year, like, 
Um, if even even as transcendently good on offense as he was, and you expect him to improve there, if he doesn't get better on defense, and say like you trade Drew Holiday, like this team could be. I think this team could still be one of the one of the worst in the league. Um, it, depending on what you do around the, around the roster, um, so they, I mean, you could, yeah. It's I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I, I think sh- next year you could construct a roster without doing anything too ridiculous that would be in the running for a, a really nice pick. But that's again, that's only because the lottery odds have changed a little bit. I don't think this team could ever get near like the worst record in the league. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so I've got, uh, I've got one from, uh, from Patrick McQuaid. So he's asking, are you worried about making too much of the mentality in, in the bubble? So I admit it, it says it's still a small sample size and a completely unique set of circumstances that won't be replicated. So anything that you pick, I think we've hit on some of this in terms of the, the players just, you know, not, not caring, but like how much, how much of that do you think is truly, um, you know, is, is fixable or slash is just like a thing that happened in the bubble because it was a weird set of circumstances. Um, I know, I, I, I know we kind of harped on the, these players are who they are, but I do want to make sure that we're properly discussing the, the uniqueness of the bubble. Right. So I think I said earlier on the pod, I think the mentality thing existed before mm-hmm. the bubble. I think it was a problem at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. I think at the core, that's who these guys are. I think it's a person problem, not an environment or a coaching problem. I think it's a situation where Griff misjudged the character of the team. He said we were we have a bunch of we-oriented people. I think that was a misjudgment. I don't think that's the case. Um, I do think the bubble is an environment where everything was under a microscope. So all the flaws are definitely magnified. So they may not necessarily be as big of an issue as they may seem with current recency, but I don't think these are issues that are new. And so, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. And I still think they need to be addressed. And, And frankly, I think the team should feel very, very disappointed with how they, they performed and operated. Yeah. Uh, so I, I struggle with this a little bit. And I, I, so generally speaking, I do agree with you. Um, and I think like, like we talked about um, before the, the question segment uh, of this, of this week's podcast that we, uh, yeah, there, there is, there are some concerns around this topic what I'm struggling with is understanding, and I don't know if we ever truly understand the impact and the differences that this bubble environment causes, and and also the uh, how the external out what's going on in the real world, quote unquote, is impacting things. And so I think that the big picture is that I, these guys are who they are, um, but also I don't. No, want to Mason, I'm gonna push back against that because every team in the bubble is dealing with that. Fair enough. Every yeah. team in the team in the bubble is dealing with that, and the only two teams that have completely fell flat on their face and they look completely disinterested, uh, and they don't care about winning, and they look a disc or not cohesive, are the Kings and the Pelicans. And you never want to be in the same bucket as the Kings. You don't. <laughs> and I tweeted that the Pelicans are playing like a, a group of players who 
can't wait to get out of here and post on their Instagram about how hard they're going to be working in the summer. It was so funny. <laughs> and, and that's what Lonzo Ball did. Immediately after the game, he went on Twitter, he quote tweeted Bleacher Report, and he was like, oh, you better post my shit next year too. Okay, dude. You couldn't get up for an elimination game? You couldn't get up for any game in the bubble? Most passion he showed was that tweet. People talk about the team taking on the identity of their coach, and that may be too, true to an extent, but how often does a team take on the identity of, of their lead guy, their lead ball handler, their, their point guard, right? You look at Chris Paul. You look at Damian Lillard. You look at Steph. You look at, you know, you, you, you name all these Hold point on. Guards. We both know that's true. <laughs> yeah, okay. But you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean. And even yeah. with Drew, like, where's the passion? Where's the fire, right? So even yeah. if you want to say it is Drew – and, and and derail me from my Lonzo hay train, then that's <laughs> fine because it applies to him too. Mm. And and so I I I don't agree that the bubble is in this environment where the Pels players just weren't suited for it. I think this is who they are, and if anything, the, the environment uncovered the cracks that were kind of masked by some really hot three-point shooting from January to February and some really bad opponent three-point shooting from January to February and beating some very easy teams. Yeah. So your, your point is well, is well taken on the fact that the Pelicans were the, one of the flattest teams in the bubble and, and they had to deal with what every other team did, but they also are one of the youngest teams. And I think that, you, know, you you saw that some of the vets – I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a – even though I agree with you completely that Drew came up short as well, like he had he had his own set of problems in the bubble as far as his play. I don't think it was as effort-related as some of the other guys. I think you saw J.J. Drew busting their ass. I think you saw a lot of the young guys not doing that. Um, and that's a, that's a problem to me. And that's, that's – as I don't want to say it's just strictly correlated to age, but I do think that the Pelicans – roster makeup is somewhat different than m- many of the other teams and but i say that and i i the sons think the i agree with team. you but yeah the sons are the youngest team in the nba and they're balling uh, out right now that's because monty williams should have never been fired if you look at the <laughs> if you look at the <laughs> clearly there was never a 57 page fire monty thread on the <laughs> talk Never, ever, ever. Oh, God. Yeah, the revisionist history on that one is, is really something. It's terrible. And the worst part is the same people today, I can find their accounts that are saying Gentry doesn't have plays, he doesn't have his rotations, he's bad at doing X, Y, like development, blah, 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 blah. They said the same shit for Monty. Buzzword because that's all you guys know how to complain about because you don't know what a real coach does. Adjustments. What are the words? Adjustments, rotations. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, those are those are two of the big ones, but but of course you know you've been a fly in Becky Hammond's wall for the last seven years, so you know exactly how she'll handle it. Yeah. Um, okay, I've um, I've got I've got another one I wanted to talk about with you, and it, it, this is a topic we also started to hit on in the uh, previously around Bi and Zion and, and their fit together um, in the long term. But uh, Dante Gandolini asks what type of front court player would you want long-term next to B.I. and Zion? Which pre- obviously presupposes that you're playing B.I. and Zion at the three and the four slash five, and you have another front court player. So uh, if – I guess my first question is, can you build a team that you feel like is a legitimate threat 
maybe not the title, but to make a very deep playoff run with those with B.I. and Zion not playing the four and the five with another front court guy alongside them. So that's the first question I would ask about that. I think if you got like prime Al Horford or like, you know, like early Celtics Al Horford who was hitting threes, playmaking, mm-hmm. low usage um, and, and defending the rim, that guy is a tremendous fit for those people. I think, you know, a guy like Marcus Gasol would even go a long way. Uh, you know, younger version of him. But essentially you want a guy who doesn't necessarily command a ton of usage, can space the floor, can pass, can shoot, uh, and, and protect the rim. So I, I do think it's possible to do that. But it requires a tremendous amount of commitment and buy-in from Zion and Ingram on the defensive end. Yeah. I think, you know, ultimately you can have – four good defenders out there and the fifth guy is Ingram and that will be good enough. I think that's the dream with Zion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, 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 I was trying to think of like who the younger guys in the league are right now that I could put with, with BI and Zion in like create the right, and create the the roster and it's like i was thinking like man like towns like what what level of player do you need? and he's obviously low usage is not something that you could describe carl Anthony Towns, but i feel like he's made strides defensively um but like it's it, yeah it, it's hard it's hard to figure out like who that right player is that would perfectly fit like horford horford's like he he's a utility player in the sense that he fits with essentially everyone in the front court so i was trying to like but also towns is a He's one of the best players in the league, so that's also unfair. I mean, so I, I think to, from yeah. a pure talent perspective, Towns would Towns would be pretty damn good, yeah. and they would probably be a contender just because how the hell do you deal with all three of those guys? Yeah. It'd be a yeah. situation where it'd be like LeBron's Cavs, right, with Kevin Love and Kyrie, where they just that season they kind of punted on defense until the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they just beat the crap out of people because how the hell do you handle LeBron, Kevin Love, and Kyrie? Yeah. And I think Towns would be yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Just interesting thought exercise because, it, I mean, I think conventional wisdom is that Zion's eventually the, the, the five in crunch time. And so from there, it's is B.I. the three or the four in crunch time? And how do you fill out the rest of the roster? But Here's I, my I hot was, take with, with Ingram. And this is what's ultimately going to color my perception of him moving forward and long-term. I think he is going to be a player that's going to be a tremendous scorer, but I think he's going to be a player that doesn't have the same impact his scoring suggests he might have on the offense. And I think I would readily move him. Just just call him DeRozan, man. Just call him DeRozan. Well, DeRozan, I think he can be better than DeRozan just because he can sh- shoot threes. And and so I think there's a lot more value there. But I, you know, it's, it's almost like AD where you're like, AD's a fantastic scorer, but he's not making a top offense by himself. Mm-hmm. And I would, with, with the case of Ingram, because he's not a big you know, if it came down to like, if I had the option between Ingram and Devin Booker, I would take Devin Booker every single day because I feel oh, like same. Yeah. Booker 
is a guy who can make his teammates better because of yep. the way he operates in an offense. Um, and he can shoot from half court. <laughs> no problem, apparently. <laughs> right. And so if, and, and likewise, so if I had, I think perimeter scoring is, can be found in other places. And so if I can get perimeter scoring from my guard positions, uh, I would rather have a three and D player. And what makes Ingram a difficult piece to build around is because he is your wing and he is your leading scorer. So sliding in a three and D player without a true shot creator. I think this is a long winded way of me saying, get Lonzo the hell out of here and put a real point guard because I think Ingram could work if you had a real point guard. So if you had a real point guard and then you have Ingram and then you have, you know, like an actual wing defender, that's, so, you know, yeah. like if you had an OG Ananobi, if you had a Mikhail mm-hmm. Bridges, if that's your perimeter, a point guard, a wing defender, and Ingram, I think that can work. And so you're effectively conceding that Ingram's the two and, and he's your, he's your basic traditional shooting guard. You're, He's getting out there and he's he's getting buckets. And that's that's my best configuration for for Ingram. But other than that, I'd you know, if it came down to like Ingram or Towns, I'd pick Towns. Yeah. So I think so I, I do wanna we, we haven't really talked about the whole Lonzo topic yet and we sh- we we'd be remiss if we didn't hit that eventually. Um but but in it's just before we get there, like can you imagine you and I having this conversation like thinking back to like a year ago and how this team had gone like pretty much as freaking decade without a three <laughs> like uh, like a small forward with size who is good like this team's had a, a we've gap still gone a decade so without a small forward who can really defend <laughs> uh fair enough uh but okay that's I, I disrespectful to solomon hill who at one season <laughs> was a fine defender and could do literally nothing else on the court <laughs> yeah but it's just it's so like now that we've got it we're just like it doesn't fit or, or not. It doesn't fit. It's just like, how do how, you know, we've got to like jump over hoops to, or, you know, jump through hoops to, to figure out how it works. And so it's like, it's so weird. I feel like we can never be happy. That's the Pelicans fan life of a Pelicans fan summarized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get but, it. And I feel like this is going to come off as me being like a massive Ingram hater and not wanting him on the team. And I just think that's, that's not the case. You know, I think I've readily said he's an all-star and he's a max player. I just feel like there's a big conversation to be had with the challenges he presents when it comes to roster building, given his own deficiencies, but also the deficiencies of everyone else on the roster. Yep. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday TV. You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. 
If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up, on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code PELICAN or DealDash.fm slash PELICAN. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash Pelican. Yeah. So I don't mean to keep hijacking the list of questions, but I did want to get one uh, because it's, it's, it's pertinent to your last article and then the, and the Lonzo topic that we haven't hit on yet. And so um, Lucas, Lucas Boyle asked, uh, given the last pod about draft strategy and the challenge signing uh, fitting second contracts, should we make a serious effort to extend Lon to the soft season before he reaches free agency at the end of his contract? No, not a serious effort. No, because to me, he hasn't shown that he's worthy of the money that he's going to want. You look at any starting point guard around the league that is on the second card track, their average salary is around 18, 19, $20 million. Ricky Rubio is at like $19 million. There's no way you're going to go to Lonzo Ball and his agent and be like, yeah, you want like $12 million a year? He's not going to take that. And so if that's the conversation, I am not paying Lonzo Ball 19 to $20 million this summer based on what I've seen. I'm more than happy to let it go to restrictive free agency, and I'm more than happy to let him try to play out the market. If he's played well enough to where he's getting good offers, fantastic, because that's a good problem to have. But if he's at a stage where he's just – still a ginormous question mark where if his three is not working that night, what does he give you? Great. I haven't locked myself into a long-term contract and I'm going to approach restricted free agencies accordingly. And chances are he won't even have that much of a market by then if he Mm -hmm. continues to play the way he did. Yeah. And so I think this is where we may disagree a little on Lonzo uh, is maybe, maybe I don't understand your position uh, and maybe we do agree, but, um, you know, when given the options to a move them now in line with that, you know, the thing, the, which, which you wrote recently or B get collect another season of data and let them hit restricted free agency. Your, your, your preference would be to treat them now. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And so I am, I, I, I'm in the camp that, the, the additional year of information you can gather about Lonzo and then just play out the restricted free agency market and let him walk for nothing if, if he really if he gets a deal that really is, is ridiculous. Um, I think that the, the additional value of information you get supersedes the, the cost of maybe his value decreasing between this year and, and next year in terms of a, a trade, uh, you know, your, your incoming trade value. And so is that because you think he has little to no value right now? Um, pa- partially. I, I mean, like, I'll, I, I don't, I don't think you're going to get that much for him. So, I mean, like, yeah, if, if I thought he had, I mean, it's chicken, the egg, right though. It's like, if, if I thought he had value, that would also mean like, I thought he played pretty damn well this year and I wouldn't, I'd be less inclined to think about moving him. I think so, he has value uh, merely off of young player intrigue and some team, some team is going to be like, yeah, he has all the intangibles and maybe it's going to be an analytic heavy team that looks at his great advanced numbers and be like, okay, um, well, great is an overstatement because he doesn't have great advanced numbers, but you know, like he, he takes the boxes in a lot of those categories where he rebounds yeah. the ball and he passes the ball. He gets has decent steal and block rates. And um, people are going to look at, okay, like maybe this is the multi-positional like, floor or ceiling raiser type of player that uh 
we want to trade for and and we'll be able to control his contract because you know it's the second time of him being traded and it's not he's not going to have a fantastic market and again I feel like all it takes is one team to talk talk themselves into it and and I am exploring every possibility to find that one team to talk themselves into it and so fair enough I I think that makes I I think that makes sense like it only takes one team that's a good I mean that's not that's not the worst argument uh we've seen that play out many times historically um I, I just, I don't know. I, I think, I, I think the real risk in my, my preferred path forward is having the, uh, ha- having the discipline to actually let him walk for nothing rather than overpaying him. Uh, Cause we know that's a concern for uh, especially a team like New Orleans in a small market and be able to retain talent and having sh- struggles to, to go get free agents. And, and so like, there's, there's certainly concerns there. I want to, well, the trust. bigger concern is also like, he's a piece from the AD trade. So like, there's this like enormous attachment factor of like, oh, I, you know, this is one of the main components I got back from a superstar and I let this guy walk away for nothing. What, what have I really done here? And, and mm-hmm. so good GMs are able to look at that situation and they realize this player is not a fit and they walk. But again, there's a human element to this and, I have no idea what Griff is going to be when it comes down to those hardball negotiations. Yeah. One, one thing I've been thinking about a little bit more, and this, this applies broader to the huge free agent class next year. It's like, so I, I know that they're still talking about how to specifically handle this offseason in terms of the salary cap and, and maybe uh, some of the money being held in escrow and versus, you know, not letting the cap, cap de- decline significantly. But like, what about next season? Like, what? How do? Like, what if this? We still have the situation where, like, we need a we need a bubble, uh, and that the players don't go for it, and like, there's this this big problem around having a a real functioning season next year. Like, what happens to the cap then? If you, I mean, I, how do you protect the the you know the overall st- structure and integrity of the of the of these roster constructions and salary uh, uh, constructions? with the concern around league revenues. I, I'm just, I'm very, and maybe I'm being overly um, alarmist on this, but I just, I, I am curious how it impacts the market next year and like in the salary cap and certain uh, salaries of a bunch like players that are, it's a huge class next year. And so, and, and that, I mean, Lonzo's a guy who's going to be up in that class, but like what, how does that, should that factor into your decision-making at all? I'm thinking, uh, you know, what's uh, that, kind of I don't know it's tough to it's tough to talk about but I but it's it's interesting topic to me yeah so I think that to me means you stay away from an extension why why would you commit any type of big money right now and not be certain about where the league stands from a revenue standpoint because if you're going to have another entire season without fans that's potentially 40 percent of the revenue lost again it's a major problem. And so what is the free agent market going to look like for non-max players at that point? Because you're always, you know, no matter what your finances are, if you have the ability to get a superstar player, you do because you feel like, all right, everything else will work out. But why would you open the purse for anyone else? You know? And so to me, that's another reason to not lock in an extension now 
And if I have to go down restricted free agency, you know, fine. But like you said, you have to have the balls to walk away from the table. Right. But so I totally agree with that. And like, that's a good reason not to try to jump into an extension early, but also is it a good reason to let, let the whole next season play out, see what you got. And then, you know, maybe you can get you know, if you're signing a guy, I mean, I don't know if players are going to start trying to take short-term contracts because of this. It's certainly a possibility. But do you think there's some sort of market inefficiency for that free agent class specifically um, and, and signing guys to undervalue deals that'll look nice like two or three years down the line? Um, I could argue both ways. It's just, it's, it's, I think it's. Yeah, I just, when I think about weird cap situations and how teams behave, I feel like a team is always going to want to splurge if they feel like they have the competitive edge. And so if one team splurges, then more are going to splurge. And that's just a domino effect. Regardless, I don't think there's going to be this league-wide agreement of, ah, well, we're going to kind of hold on to our purses here because if I have the ability to get impact players at a, and I know no one's really offering big contracts, well, then why wouldn't I offer a slightly bigger contract? Um, okay. And I've that's been how you end up with yeah. <laughs> Solomon Hill at $12 million a year. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I've been hijacking the questions and we've got a lot here and there are actually some, there are some pretty fun ones that are tangentially basketball related, but I, I'll let, I, you know, pick, pick one. You're, you're up. Okay. Uh, let's see. I thought I had a cool one, but you've definitely been sidetracked a bit. Um, I don't know. I feel like you picked a lot of the good ones. There's some draft questions, which I'm going to avoid because you're going to, you're not caught up on the draft. Um, (laughs) we've touched on the Pels making the playoffs. Oh, here's one. How important would be signing a vet guard that can run the team in the offseason? JJ is great, but can only affect one aspect, which is shooting. Seems like we haven't been able to close out games since Rondo left. I guess we touched on this where I don't necessarily think that needs to be a vet guy. Like, as you mentioned, the quality of players available at the MLE is probably not fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's a priority the Pelicans try to go after a guy like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think having that lead ball handler is, is very, very key. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agreed. And so, I mean, I, I guess that I don't see them making a splash there if they, if Jerusalem on the roster, I mean, I think, I think that would be, you know, they, you don't, that's a luxury. I think when you have Drew on the team, it's not a, a dire need um, just based on the, the makeup of the rest of the roster. Um, but uh, but I mean, I do think the secondary ball handler or like the second unit type guy is certainly a need until you know that Nikhil can, can be that guy. Um, so that, that I think is more important while Drew's on the roster, but if Drew's off, then yeah, you gotta go, you gotta go find a guy. I don't care if he's a vet or, or what it's a guy who, who's shown that he can, he can be capable of, um, of, of, of filling that role. So um, so yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a need if Drew's gone, but I don't think it's a luxury. I think if Drew's still here. There was a question about 
there are a lot of rumors out there about B.I. taking it easy to make sure he's healthy for a summer payday. Is there any truth to that? Also, a ton of rumblings about things going on internally that led to this dysfunction of the performance. Any intel? Okay, so two separate questions there. Um, with B.I. taking it easy, make sure he's healthy for a summer payday. I think that's a load of crap. I think he has been pathetic on defense all season. And I'm not going to mince words there. So if that was a reason he should have sat out the bubble period. And if that was true, that would to me be a a more troubling sign of a guy just not committed to a team. And I would factor that into my decision of whether I consider him an untouchable core piece going forward. As far as a ton of rumblings about things going on internally that led to this dysfunction in the bubble performance, any intel? Yes, I do have intel here. So buckle up, folks, because here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. So basically, a lot of these issues stem from the fact that Zion had to leave and then had to be reincorporated in this bubble environment. So a couple issues with Zion leaving. Um, Virtually no one on the team – except for like Griff Langdon and maybe one or two other like key decision people uh, really know why Zion left. So if you've heard anything, it's probably full of shit because they kept it very, very, very close to the chest on purpose, but it was most definitely a serious family medical issue. And if you're trying to fill in any conspiracies about Zion getting COVID or this, that, or the other, it's a load of crap. So let's just flush that right out. The second issue is the fact that Zion left for 13 days and he came back in awful shape. Well, that raised alarm bells with the medical staff and obviously Griff when it comes to reincorporating him. And I don't think anybody who watched him can deny that Zion was out of shape. I don't think anybody can deny that. So he didn't have this ramp up period. He missed time. He gained weight and he just wasn't ready. So the issue came from the fact that Griff and the medical staff wanted to sit Zion, limit his minutes. And even on the first game. So for example, the first game he played 15 minutes, that decision came last minute. And there was a lot of back and forth of whether he was even going to play. And that kind of screws over the coaches and the players because you don't know if this guy is going to be a part of your lineup or not. And then it, when he is, he's playing the first three minutes of every quarter and it's just kind of pointless. And so there is definitely dysfunction there. And there's a group of people that are partial to the coaches and have the coaches story of this side that are trying to pin this on Griff being a power hungry, controlling dictator type executive who wants to make Alvin look bad. Because, again, they're controlling the situation with Zion and Alvin is really left to dry because they don't know what the hell they can do with him. And Zion wants to play and Alvin wants to play and Griffin, the medical staff, don't want him to play. And then there's the other side of this, which is the, the, the executive side where it's like, we're trying to protect our best asset here. I don't care what you guys want. We're not going to risk Zion getting hurt because he's out of shape. It's just doesn't make any sense and so there is friction there and people tried to blame 
that friction for the laws against the jazz, which I found bullshit because they blew a 16 point lead. And then they try to blame that, um, you know, because Zion wasn't inserted in the final player in the final minute, blah, 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 that pissed off the team, et cetera, et cetera. They try to blame that on them getting whooped by the Clippers, which I also find to be a bullshit excuse. So that is the summary of the dysfunction. You can opt to believe whatever side you want. Maybe you're partial to the coaches. Maybe you're partial to the executive side. Um, that's, that's your opinion. But to, to me, to blame the performance on, on how the Zion situation was handled, I think it's a load of crap because eventually he started playing more minutes and you guys were still doing those same things. And you can't tell me that those first two games uh, really ruined this for you if you were really serious about winning. I, I just don't buy any of that. And that just seems like you're hunting for an excuse, an external reason to blame rather than taking accountability yourself. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, that's a great way to put it. Like I was going to say, it's just, it would show just such a, such an extreme lack of maturity um, and almost, almost entitlement uh, to, to, to act that way. Um, and furthermore, if, I mean, I don't think that's, if you're going to act that way, I don't know any coach that's going to be able to make a difference there. Like that's, you just got to, you've got to fix your mindset. Um, so, and the thing I, is like this, there's this idea that because Alvin was upset, then the players were, it's, you're just trying to connect dots that aren't there. And I'm sure players were frustrated. I'm yep. no doubt, you know, like you want Zion to play, you want to know what your role is. You want to know what those minutes are. No doubt about it. But is that why they lost all those games in an embarrassing fashion? No, I, I don't, you got to be better than that. You got to be, above that and you can't be like oh well this thing didn't work out my way so we're just gonna crumble and and just fold and not show up that that is not an excuse to me yeah um so that's maybe let's still that's the t maybe let's do one more and then wrap any anything is there any one question that jumps out to you that you really wanted to hit on Mm, nah, I think you've been doing a good job of handling these questions. I know you got one for me. All right. Well, then I got one that's really fun from Thomas Nielsen, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Who had the better season? O four O five Dan Dickow, twenty twelve twenty thirteen Grievous Vasquez, or nineteen twenty Lonzo Ball. I feel like Grievous had the best season for sure. That was a season he was getting. Even Chris Paul was like oh, – he, well, he almost led the league in assists, right? He almost like led that. the league in assists, and Chris Paul was like, he might be an all-star next year. And everyone was like, well, Grievous Vasquez, an all-star? Yeah. I mean, I knew <laughs> that's going to happen. Um, and so I feel like Vasquez is first. Um, I feel like Lonzo is second, and poor Dan DeCow is third i i was wondering how far you were gonna go and uh, i mean i i I think oh man i feel like of all the things we talked on this podcast people the 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 lonzo stands if any of them got uh you know god help them or or actually still listen to this like hate listen to us they uh, do there's a guy that that listens and follows to everything i say (laughs) even though i've blocked him for months and then he just you know i i someone sent me his tweets and he's been sent, tweeting about me for months and i had no idea 
<laughs> great. It is amazing. Say, saying that uh, Gravis is what had a better year than uh, than than Lonzo is probably the the most triggering aspect. But thank you for saying Lonzo is better than than Dan Dickow because Dan Dickow in that year, oh, oh, like oh four oh five. First of all, he didn't even I uh, played most of the year with the, with the Hornets. He played a few games with Dallas, um, but he, he put up twelve and a half and five. <laughs> I mean, like let's let's not go crazy here. Dan Dickow was. He was a fun dude to, to, you know, to mop up on a terrible mop up minutes on a terrible Hornets team, but we got to, we got to keep things in check here. <laughs> like Lonzo was better than Dan Tickow. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> if, if 2012, 13 Vasquez was on this team, we would have been a playoff team instead of, Whoa, Lonzo. that's oh, a for take. Sure. For sure. I think because you knew what you were getting out of Vasquez every single night. There's no question about it. You know you're getting about 12, 13, 14 points. You know you're getting about eight, nine assists. You know it. You can book it. You know you're getting those weird runners that he had um, that he would bank off the glass. You just know the steady presence. You have no clue what you're going to get out of Zion on either – I mean, not Zion, um, Lonzo on either end at any given night. You just don't. There's no Um, pulse. I am dropping this quote on Twitter, and it's going to be hilarious to see the meltdown. <laughs> Go for it. I, I will – come at me, bro. Come Perfect. at me, bro. Let's I, – I think we end on that. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at. And uh, thank you for listening, and thank you to our sponsors. This has been a wrap-up of part two – of our podcast where we answer your questions. So thanks for listening. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major league baseball is back in action and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners bet online. Check out all the odds, futures and props to bet on all available 24 seven. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans and the series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. 
So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.